everyone, and welcome to More Than Coincidence, Remembering Jesus Christ in Your Story. As the author and finisher of our faith, our Savior writes personal experiences into each of our lives, which can later strengthen, empower, and bring us peace upon reflection. This podcast is dedicated to sharing these anchoring memories from everyone's unique stories in order to collectively remember and testify of the reality of Jesus Christ and His presence in our lives. I'm your host, Lily, and I'm very excited to share these experiences together. Okay, so today on our podcast, we have Leighton. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. That's L-A-Y-T-O-N. That's not Kaysville. That's Leighton. That's Leighton. <laughs> awesome. So, Leighton, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, I guess to start off with, you have to know that I'm a high plains drifter. Then you have to know what the high plains are. Once you get almost into Texas, the elevation is very low before that, and then it jumps up several feet. So it might go up from two or three or four hundred feet above, or a thousand feet above sea level to 4,000, almost 5,000 feet of sea level. And as we look, that's like Denver, which is the mile-high city, Right. 5,280 feet in Denver. So that's why they call it the High Plains. My part of the High Plains was the Oklahoma and Texas Panhandle. I was born in a little town in Boy City, Oklahoma, way out in the Panhandle of Oklahoma. And then when I was 11, we moved to Texas, Amarillo, which is still in the High Plains. And I graduated from high school there. I went on my mission to the California mission from there. And then I went into the Army, and then I started looking for a wife and went for Denver. And that's my introduction. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, High Plains Drifter, will you give us your little story about... Um, what memories do you have or themes that you've seen in your life that, that will remind you of Jesus Christ? I can't remember a time when I didn't have these feelings. My father wasn't a member of the church, and the missionaries would come and give the discussions to him. And they came so many times and gave the discussion so many times, he would stay one step ahead of them all the way through the discussions. Drove them crazy. But when they introduced the plan of salvation, now I'm like 12, maybe, and I said, man, where have I heard that before? And I knew right then that that was, that was the Lord's plan. And so I went through high school, uh was active in the church all that time. I went on my mission, and my family have always uh, had premonitions or, or discernments, shall I say. And so I went in for my mission interview with the branch president, and he said, where do you want to go? And I said, well, I'll go anywhere. But it was a cold Texas northern blizzard driving home. And I thought, gee, I hope they sent me to California because I'd hate to go a, a cold winter on the North Sea. And uh, I got my mission papers, and sure enough, it was called the California Mission, which at that time was everything from the San Fernando Valley all the way to the Mexican border. 
everything north of that to the to Oregon was the northern Calabash. And so I got my call, and so I got out the maps. I was looking at it, and I said, oh, Long Beach, that'd be an interesting place to be. And my first mission was North Long Beach, Compton, and Paramount. And I'd been there about six months. I was unusual. I would stay long periods in one area. Most mm-hmm. missionaries, three or four months, and bam, they've got you gone. So I, th- each ward would practically send for my membership record. But then uh, I got, I was thinking one day, okay, I, said, I really need to go someplace. Maybe it'd be neat to go to Phoenix, Arizona. So I was in Phoenix, Arizona, and then I went back to uh, Garden Grove, California, and then I went to La Habra, California, and back to Phoenix, and back to California, and then ended up in Gilbert, Arizona, where they now have a temple there in Gilbert. And then after my mission, uh, I knew the draft was going to get me because it was right in Vietnam. And in fact, I beat my physical for the Army into the mission home by two days. Really? Really. A general authority at that time, that was his only responsibility to deal with draft problems. And so he came and he he spent a whole hour and a half talking about draft problems. And then he said, is there anything that hasn't been covered? And I said, yeah, I'm supposed to report for an induction physical Thursday. And he said, well, we'll set you apart on Wednesday. And so they set me apart. There were 14 elders that were set apart by that time. And at that time, a general authority did all the setting apart. And the authority was S. Dilworth Young, who is really a character, an an old-time, old-school apostle. But anyway, he gave us all nice blessings. I mean, he blessed me with ease of memorizing the discussions, discernment of the hearts of men, health and safety on my mission. The last guy that gets set apart was going to Wales. And this is no lie. He laid his hands on his head, called him by name, and says, I bless you that you'll be able to eat the food without harm to your body. Amen. That was it. So I really felt that I was sent to that mission. That was the mission I was supposed to go to. Yeah. I met people that I was supposed to go to and, te- and teach. Only met, only baptized one person mm-hmm. by tracting. And all of the rest were from referrals. And when I left, it was typical or average for a missionary to have 125 baptisms when he went home. Uh, I only had 50. But here, here's the catch on that. I always felt that I hadn't fulfilled a really successful mission. And then my brother went out and was called to Brazil. And when he was wrestling in college, he tore the cartilage in his knee. So they fixed him up. They sent him out on a mission. He came in from tracting one day, put his knee up or foot up on his knee to fix a blister, uh-huh. and it wouldn't go down. And so they they took him to a doctor, finally got it to go down, but they flew him home for a repair. And then it was time for him to go back. And they have to decide where they're going to send him. And they usually send the sick missionaries <laughs> to California. But each mission keeps what they call a blue sheet, which is a record of your mission. 
and it stays there in the mission field. And so when they send another family member there to be sure that there's no problems, they go back and read the, the, read blue, the blue sheet. sheet. And so when my branch president called up the mission president, he said, let me see. He went and read it. He came back and he says, well, if Elder Patterson, Randy, is half the missionary that Elder Patterson Layton was, uh-huh. we'd be thrilled to have him. So I was looking at it from the man's from the, point From of the view. numbers perspective. But the Lord was looking at it in a different way. And I would go into areas where the work had stymied, and I would be there for six months to help rejuvenate that area. And then if there was a problem elder, they would send them to me. So I was doing more than just baptizing, but I didn't think about that, but the Lord did. So anyway, I finished my mission. As soon as I got back home, I uh, enlisted because I wanted to get, I didn't want to carry a gun. And so because of my scores, I could, on the at-bed test, I could be anything I wanted in the Army. So I took administration and basically was trained to be a clerk typist. And I had a lot of close companions, and one of them was Elder Bloomfield. And just before I went to basic, I said to my mom, it's going to be funny when I get to basic training and there's no more Bluefield. Ah, that's just crazy. So I was there three weeks. That's the first time they let you go to church. And as I was walking into church, I heard somebody say, hey, Elder Tex. And that's what they used to call me on my mission. And I turned around, and there's Bloomfield. And so we went all the way through BASIC and AIT at Fort Huachuca together. And he taught me into going into flight school to be a helicopter pilot. And our lives had pretty much paralleled. So I applied, and to get into flight school... You had to be interviewed by by a field grade officer, a major or above. So I went in and interviewed with Lieutenant Colonel. He listened to me talk for a while. And he said, Patterson, you're a Mormon, aren't you? I said, yeah. Didn't think my horns were showing, but I'm LDS. (laughs) Yeah. And he talked to me some more. And finally he said, I've decided that I'm not going to let you go to flight school. I can tell you're the kind that is so dedicated to doing what you have to do, I'm afraid you'll try to get that last man out of a hot LZ and you'll sacrifice yourself and the the aircraft to do it. So I'm not going to send you. That really broke heart, you know. So just that so happened, my home teaching companion was a major in the army there in Fort Huachuca and the flight surgeon. So I said, "Really?" So I said, "Go in and talk to the and guy." Talk to him. <laughs> Please put in a good word for me. So about 3 weeks later, I was at my office working and I heard not an audible voice but the impression, "Okay, I'm going to let you go to flight school. But I'm going to teach you lessons you'll remember for the rest of your life." About half hour later, the phone rang, and the, this lieutenant colonel said, it's against every decision I've ever made, but I'm going to let you go. The people there 
will know if you should be there or not. And so off I went. And there's another long haul story that I won't get into. But basically, I was trying to do what I wanted to do, not what the Lord wanted me to do. And so I washed out of flight school, and my buddy, Norm, washed out also. He was about two weeks ahead of me. And so we're hot bait for Vietnam. You know, we know what's coming. And he had got engaged to a girl there named Becky, a member of the church. And so we both got sent to Vietnam. He was sent over as a radio telephone operator. And I knew before I left, either he or I or both of us weren't coming back. And so I would been I had been in country about three or four months, and I was I was in admin, so I was working in a flight operations office in Vietnam in July. And so as I was leaving the office to go to lunch one day, I had the coldest feeling in the world come over me. And I thought, gee, what if Norm doesn't come back? That'll break Becky's heart. And about three weeks later, I got a message from his from her Becky's mom. I don't know how to tell you this, but about three weeks ago in the Ashaw Valley, Norman was killed. I felt him go. He said goodbye. So these these feelings that I have, I know they don't come from me. They gotta be coming from a higher power. So anyway, I went on and I finished out my tour in Vietnam and everybody else were getting orders three, four, five weeks ahead of time saying where they were going to go and how they would be assigned. And my orders weren't coming, and they weren't coming, and they were, I was worried about it. So one afternoon as I walked away from work, the impression came over me, I'm sending you to Germany to be a branch president. I mean, here I am, a 19-year-old <laughs> kid, right? Yeah. Well, at, at that time I was 20, almost 23. Uh-huh. So I got my orders about a week and a half later, and it said Germany, and about a month and a half later, I was branch president of the servicemen's branch. So anyway, I I went to, uh, all the way through Vietnam, uh, safe as a bug in a rug. The only time that I was really closely under fire Mm-hmm. was when the enemy shot rockets at our base camp. Like uh-huh. you see on TV when they're shooting out of the truck, that's what they were shooting at us. And so I really feel that all the way through, I've been protected. All of, I mean, the Lord makes the assignment to the Army. They think they do. But for, for so many people, LDS people, I've seen it never fail. It gets to be so obvious. And so I went through the Army, got out, Went back to Texas. There was only one eligible girl that was LDS, and so prospects for getting married, which I desperately wanted to do, of course, were slim. And so I heard that they had five stakes in Denver. So off you went to Denver. So off I went to Denver. And Sharon, my wife, joined the church like she was talking to you about earlier in Gilderson, Colorado. Uh-huh. And she came to Denver to do her student teaching. 
And she didn't usually go out much at night, never alone, single. Mm -hmm. But she decided to go to Institute one night, and I went to Institute. And somebody made a crack about a handicapped person, mentally handicapped. And boy, she just jumped right in their liver because she was studying to be a special ed teacher. And I looked back and I thought, wow, she's neat. I think I'll marry her. <laughs> and when you think that, you know what's going to happen. And so so we courted. Uh, that was in April. We saw each other every day after that until it was time to get married. And the closest, well, we could go to Salt Lake Temple, but I had been on a mission to Mesa, and I had people I knew down there. Yeah. So we decided to go down to Mesa and get married in the temple. Now, Sharon's folks are not Latter-day Saints. And so when they heard that they couldn't go at the temple for the ceremony, we just won't come at all. And that was hard, but we said, well, we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. So about two days before it was time for us to go down, her mom called and says, we just can't be away. So they came and they spent their time while we were in the temple in the visitor center getting to know. And did all the tours. Get all the tours, yeah. get all that information. And one other funny thing that happened is I had a car in Germany and I sold it. And uh -huh. this guy hadn't, hadn't paid me the last payment on it. And here we were broke. We could hardly, I mean, her parents played, paid for the plane tickets down there. But, but just before, about a week before we went down, he sent me $100 for the last payment. And that's what we got married on. That's and when we got to married back to Denver, we didn't even have money to get out of the parking garage. So we started our, our marriage literally out of nickel and a six-cent stamp. Oh, my goodness. And so everything that has come to us, including our wonderful grandchildren, great-grandchildren, that's all come from the Lord. Right. And, and and so when I think of these things, when I think back on, on my life, I know that it has all come from the Savior. Yeah. It's all been directed by the Savior. Now, I got my patriarchal blessing, and it's it's very short. I mean, my, the rest of my family, two pages, three pages— Mine is is about a page, and but of course it's what I need, and so the Lord the Lord knows you personally, and so patriarchal blessings are very important. I know you've got yours, and I hope you read it often. Mm -hmm. In fact, the General Authority's last conference made made a big deal about they did they, they did. I think there was at least two talks specifically about oh, patriarchal that's, blessings. That's right. And so, have you ever seen the patriarchal blessing the Lord gave to the church? No. You haven't? I haven't. I haven't. And if you will let me, I'll end up by just reading this. Sure, go ahead. Okay, now this patriarchal blessing was given to a non-member of the church in 1787. Okay. But I feel that the hymns we sing in church are inspired. And so I'm going to read this. So this is a hymn that you're this about to read? This is a hymn. Okay. This is one of my favorite hymns. First of all, my favorite scripture is 2 Nephi 25, 23. For we labor diligently to write and to persuade our children and also our brother to be reconciled to God 
or to believe in Christ and be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Yeah. Okay, then keep in mind, now, when folks in church sing this, we only sing the first three verses. And nobody ever thinks, thinks about what they're singing. But I want you to think, as I read this, think it is the Lord speaking directly to the church yeah. and to you. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, who unto the Savior for refuge have fled? In every condition, in sickness, in health, in poverty's veil or abounding in wealth, at home or abroad on the lands of the sea, as thy days may demand, so thy succor shall be. Fear not, I am with thee, or be not dismayed, for I am like God, and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not thee o'erflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify thee to thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all-sufficient, shall be thus I ply. The flames shall not hurt thee, I only design, the dross to consume, the gold to refine. E'en down to old age, all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. Then, when gray hairs their temple shall adorn, like lambs in my bosom shall they still be born. That soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I cannot, desert for his, to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. That's the Lord blessing to the church and to us individually. And that's my story. That's, that's so powerful. That's one of my favorite hymns, too, How From a Foundation. So you feel like that song kind of encompasses it encompasses your life. everything yeah, everything the lord is with you in everything when yeah. you're flying a helicopter and the IP says and you you try to land the helicopter and you come screaming in too fast your skids hit the ground and you slide 50 yards sparks flowing out of the skids yeah and he says and turns to you and say i think you brought it in a little hot and then when you're trying so hard, but you know what's what the story is. And the last day you're in flight school, before you go out to the flight line, your guardian angel says to you, if you fly today, I will not be responsible for your death. You know it's time to start listening to the Lord. And that's my testimony. Thank you so much for sharing this. I... I honestly have felt the spirit really strong tonight. So thanks again for joining us, Layton, and I hope you have a good evening. Thanks again for tuning into More Than Coincidence, Remembering Jesus Christ in Your Story. Please follow us on social media or share us with a friend. If you have an experience you'd like to share, feel free to reach out to morethancoincidence.com 
rememberhim at gmail.com. I can't wait to hear all of the amazing memories you all have of our Savior. See you next time.